you really are like that, God, that you are worthy in that way, God. We will never wear out, um, God. We will never say um, too often. We will never say too many times how worthy you are. Um, we will never uh, overstate how great you are. We'll never, um, we'll never exaggerate how awesome your love is for us. And God, thank you for the fact that we can approach you in this way with confidence. God, we can know with certainty, God, that you don't have any more anger with us, God. For those of us who have trusted in your son, the Lion of Judah, the one that we just got through singing about. For those of us who have surrendered and given our lives to him, God, that all your wrath was extinguished on him for our benefit, for our sake. So God, thank you for that. God, I pray that you would help us now as your word is open, that you would give me wisdom to speak in such a way so that these people are encouraged and helped and strengthened, that I wouldn't say anything contrary to your word, but I would only say that which submits to it and that exalts it to its rightful place, God. So thank you, God, for who you are and what you've done for us. Spirit, we ask that you would fill us now and give us wisdom, that you would be stirred up within us to see and to hear what you would have us see and hear now from your word. So we love you, God. I praise you, Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Good to see all you people. Um, glad to be here with you. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Crossway Wilmington. And this is my last sermon here at Crossway Wilmington. So um, next week we're being sent out um, with us and all the rest of the planting team for Crossway Burgall. Next week we'll be in here. We'll be uh, formally sent out to plant a new church in Burgall called Crossway Burgall, yeah. And um, so this is my last time preaching here at Crossway Wilmington. So essentially what that means is that Matt, Chris, and Bill has said, I can't preach here no more, so I'm about to preach for like two hours. Like, so since this is my last one, so just buckle up. Like You're going to go get you some coffee. Now, I'm just playing. It won't be two hours. It'll be an hour and a half. But... Um, but um, I'm real grateful to be here. Um, Y'all have been, me and Kate started coming here in 2009, right before we got engaged. We were just dating back then. And um, y'all ever since then have been our people, very much like our family. And um, we wouldn't trade you for anything. So we are very excited. We are very glad to be going and being a part of the team to help plant Crossway Burgal. But it is very bittersweet at the same time to know that we're leaving our home here with you guys. So we're so indebted to y'all and love you so much. So anyway, so there's that. Um, I want to make an observation that will be plain to everybody in this room how in this world there's just so much suffering. There is just so much anguish, misery in this life. Um, we, Brother Bill just stood up here and told us about how we just heard that Liz Wilson is going to hospice. She, got, she was diagnosed with cancer a while back and now it's advanced to the point that she has to go to hospice and so tragic. It's so sad. Um, there's such bitterness in that. And it seems like everywhere we look, there's some shade of like suffering 
we've been to St. Jude's Hospital now uh, multiple times with our oldest boy, Abe. And anytime you go to St. Jude's, as, gr- as, as great of a place as St. Jude's is, and as thankful for it as we are, um, you always go and you always just have these um, impactful visuals of suffering. Because you see these little kids, these little children who are so sick. At St. Jude's, they, they keep a bunch of the plastic um, radio flyer wagons with the seats in them. They keep them sanitized, lined up outside the clinic entrances. And you just see the moms and dads, they'll, a kid will they'll lay down in them, cover them up with blankets, and they'll be asleep. And it's just such a common thing. You see them, these parents with a worried, anxious look on their face with their with their appointment itinerary in their hand and they're pulling their kid in this wagon and their little kid with no hair looks so frail and weak and sick in this wagon. And Oh, you just see this and, you, and the thought that pervades your mind is, this shouldn't be this way. That, that's the sense that you have as you observe such things. As we observe such things as what our sister Liz is going through, we say, this, this just isn't right. This should not be this way. So we look at sickness and suffering and we have an abiding sense of the only statement we can make is, this is just not right. This seems wrong that this person suffer in this way. So we see that in sickness and you see it in sin and waywardness. Everybody in this room probably knows somebody in their life somewhere who has a a kid who's a teenager or a young adult and they're just totally wayward, making horrible decisions. They're, They're drinking, they're partying, they're drugging, they're doing whatever and they're parents' hearts are broken, and you, you know these parents, and you know the desire they have for their children to live uprightly and righteously, and your heart's broken because you see these people, and their hearts are broken, and, and we again are left to say, this just doesn't seem right. This just, this just isn't right. This should not be this way. We look at sin in other people and that way. Then we look at, we observe and know of and are very acquainted with sin and waywardness in ourselves. Like in our own selves. Like we're, we still, from things in our past, things that we've done earlier in our life, we carry around shame and guilt and we feel bad for things we've done. And even today, we continue day by day to make decisions and do things and say things that we think, I should have done that. <laughs> I know that was wrong. I shouldn't be this way. <laughs> so there's so many things in life that just seem upside down or backwards, but they just seem wrong. This, this suffering sh- this shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't be like this anymore. These people, they shouldn't be like this. We're left with that so much in this life and in so many different ways that this shouldn't be this way. So this shouldn't be this way. We're left to say that and by the grace of God, we just sang this great song about how through Jesus, God has done everything necessary to make everything right in a way that none of us could ever hope to do. Like, 
Through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God has accomplished everything necessary to make every wrong thing right, to make every broken thing whole, to make everything that's backwards facing the right way, everything that's tangled up and messy to be straightened out. That's how sufficient, that's how awesome, that's how perfect the person and the work of Jesus is. So through Jesus, God's done everything necessary to make everything right. And by the grace of God, we all up in this room, we hear that statement and we say, amen, amen. I know that's true. I know that statement is true. I believe that. But still, even though I believe that, even though I know that, how come there's still so much suffering? If that statement is true, how come there's still so many people in my life that are suffering? How come I'm suffering? How come I'm still sinning in the way that I am? If that statement is true, what's, what's going on? That's a genuine, that's a legitimate question. That's a, that's a very understandable question. The ultimate root, the common denominator of all suffering is sin. Sin is the root cause and source of all sickness, all pain, all sorrow at every level of experience of life. Romans 8 verses 20 through 22 says this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This creation is not what it was intended to be originally. This whole place, all, all of us and this whole earth, it's as if it was groaning in anguish, wishing to be reconciled, longing to be fulfilled and made right in the way that it wants to be. Consider, consider Genesis 3.17. God says this to Adam. God says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten, the tr eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The, the effect of sin on creation and the universe is so pervasive that it's even that the, the ground is cursed. Even the stuff we stand on and build stuff on, even the ground is cursed because of how serious it is to disobey and dishonor God. All sickness, all sorrow, all struggle to survive, all the trouble of life, all abuse, mistreatment, addiction, dishonesty, violence, discord, fighting, arguing, and pain, all of that has the common root of sin. Now what I want to clarify at this point is one thing. I'm, I am not saying that there's some kind of one-to-one -one ratio between sin and sickness or between sin and suffering. That is to say, there's not some kind of one-for-one -one ratio where it's like, oh, you're sick, that means you sinned in this way and God's given you what you deserve. Or, oh, you've got this issue in your life, that must mean you sinned and God's given you something to straighten you out. Now, 
there is wisdom in when we're sick or suffering through something. There is wisdom to do some degree of self-analysis, some degree of reflection to say, is there something in my life that God is trying to wake me up to? Is there some pattern or habit in my life that God is lovingly trying to bring, get my attention to so that I bring about change in my life? So while that may be true, there's not some one-for-one ratio where God is just dishing out willy-nilly suffering for each individual sin. No, that's not what I'm saying, and that's not what the Bible says either. Rather, what I am saying and what the Bible does make really clear is this. Sin has so thoroughly and so completely cursed and corrupted all of creation that all people everywhere suffer because of the effects and the distorting consequences of sin. Sin is so serious that it has this general and universal effect of distorting every good thing that God has made. Every good thing that we see is not really as good as it ought to be or as good as it's intended because it's all fallen. It's all affected by the universal brokenness of sin. So in disobeying God and dishonoring him and the the consequences of sin, both of Adam's sin and our own sin, it leads to the disordering and a distorting of all the creation, all the all the maladies, all the weaknesses, all the frailties of our bodies, all the difficulties and complications in our relationships, all of, the, all of the toil of our jobs, all the pain and frustration we experience in our employment, all of that is because of the bondage to corruption that all of creation exists in. Romans 5.12 says it this way. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is, Adam and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned death is the culminating effect of sin death is the final outworking of sin all of us are living in bodies that are going to die someday and our bodies die because of sin that's what was mysteriously but truly inherited by us from Adam. That's what was passed on to us by our common father, the first Adam in the garden. But then we got Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. Galatians 10, Galatians 3, 10 through 14 says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So that's everybody here and everybody in the world. We're all under a degree of a curse because nobody who's ever lived keeps all of God's law. All of us are guilty of breaking God's law and we're under a curse because of it. So our whole lives, we are personally guilty of sins that mess up and distort our lives. But we are also generally affected by the universal sin that corrupts all of creation. So pretty bleak picture so far, right? Okay, but listen to this. The rest of Galatians 3, 10 through 14, it says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. 
but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus was made a curse for us. Jesus took all of the curse that ought to have been ours. All of us who will surrender and give up and lay down our weapons and say, God, you are right. You are God. I'm wrong. You are right. You are justified. I am the one who has offended you, God. Thank you for giving your son to be a curse for me. All of us who turn in faith and genuinely have that attitude towards God have no more curse. It's all removed from us because of Christ. Colossians 1 verses 19 through 20 says it this way. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus and who he is and what he did for us on the cross, he reconciled all of us to himself. We were, if something needs to be reconciled, like you think about someone trying to reconcile an account, they're looking through all the transactions and they say, hey, this balance is matched up. It needs to be reconciled. That person goes through all the transactions and tries to find out where they miscounted or missubtracted or didn't add or something right. And then, oh, I got it right. Now the balances match. God in his mercy looked at us and says, hey, these people don't match. These people are, here's my standard. These people are like down here. And Jesus and who he is, what he accomplished for us, put us right on the level. He makes us perfect, even though we are very imperfect. He makes us innocent, even though we are very guilty. He loves us, even though we're very unlovable. And he reconciles us to himself in that way. So Jesus, in his death, he made all things right to himself. Not just people, all creation, all the earth. Everything has been done that is needed to be done to make all the earth right with God again. He gave forgiveness for all the guilt of all those who would trust in Jesus. All of us and all of creation. Where we ought to have had enmity and conflict with God Through what he's done for us, Jesus has put us at peace with God. In his work on the cross, Jesus was undoing all of the cursing effects of sin. He was removing this curse and taking it away from us. That's what the work of Christ accomplishes. That's what the person of Christ accomplishes. Who else can do that but God himself? Jesus, very God and very fully man, is the only one who could meet such a standard and reconcile such people as us. So 
That gets us to the main text. You're probably thinking, whoa, you ain't got to the main text? Okay, I told you it was my last time preaching here. So Revelation 22. I want to read Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Very end of your Bible, probably the last page or the next to last page. This is the end of history. It's all wrapped up. It's all come down. And this is what it looks like, Revelation 22, starting in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And then verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is what it looks like at the end of time. This is what the end of this whole story looks like when there's no more opposition to Jesus, when there's no more sin anywhere, no more presence or influence or power or consequences of sin. No more outworking of sinful decisions. No more domino effect consequences of doing things that dishonor God. All of that is gone. All of that is wiped away. And Jesus is bodily, physically present, seated in a throne on earth to reign. This is what it looks like. There's there's a river of water, and the water is water of life. This river is bright as crystal. It's beautiful, and it's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. God's throne is sitting here as the fountainhead, the source of this river. The water flows from his throne. Like the, the headwaters of this river is at God's throne. And this river, it flows through the middle of the street of the city. So we got this street, and there's a river in the middle of the street. It's a river of water of life. And then on either side of the river is the tree of life. So does that mean that like the tree of life is so big that it's like, over the street and the river, and there's like this arch cut out of it like the redwoods, and the river goes through it? I don't know. Or does it mean that like the tree of life is like a grove of trees, and they're growing on either side of the river? I don't know either. Kind of doesn't matter, but it sounds like it's awesome. It sounds like it's amazing. So there's this tree, and not only is it that big and that awesome, it's yielding its fruit each month. Twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. And now this tree, apparently when, when Jesus removes the curse so completely, trees are able to bear twelve different kinds of fruit and do a different one each month. God can do whatever he wants. When all of the effect and influence of sin is gone, anything can happen. God's like, yeah, let's make a tree, 12 fruits of fruit, one every month. Apples, that's April. Pineapples, some other month. It's amazing. And then 22.3, no longer will there be anything accursed, 
but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. No more curse. There will be nothing accursed. Nothing will be present in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. Nothing will be present that God condemns. There will be nothing there that displeases God. There will be nothing there that is bad for anybody. The only reason anybody will be crying is because they're happy. There won't be anything that hurts anybody. There will only be that which he very much approves and loves. All the curse is gone. All sin is absent. There is no sin there, no consequences, effect, or influence of sin. This is what the world looks like when we say, this is right. We started out this sermon, we're looking at things, we're saying, this, just, this shouldn't be this way. When the, Revelation 22 shows us what existence is like, when every human can say, yes, this is, this is right. This is how this should be. That's the perfection of God. And how, how has this come about? How has God achieved this for his people? He's done it in this way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the means by which God has accomplished all of these things to make all wrong things right. Because the only people that are present in that city with that tree of life and that river of the water of life where there's no need of a light or a sun because of the brightness of Jesus, the only people who live there are the righteous ones. So who are they? Who are the righteous ones? They're all of those who have been made righteous by God for having trusted in Jesus. They're all of those who have acknowledged I am guilty. I am not innocent. God, will you please make me what I am not and fit me to live in your city? I say yes to the forgiveness that you have for me in Jesus. Those are the ones who are made righteous by God. Those, the ones who say, I, I have only blame for my life. If I were to stand before God and try to give some account for why I should live in this city, I would have nothing to say. Those that are made righteous are the ones that say, Jesus is my only chance and my only hope of righteousness. Those are the ones who are dwelling in that city. This is what it looks like when everything is set right. And all of this is accomplished by God through his son Jesus. And all of this is done for our good and God's glory. So clearly, what, I, what we're seeing right here in Revelation 22, clearly, it's obvious, this is not a description of our world today. This, this is not what life is like for us today. It is manifestly obvious that there are some problems, there are issues, there's suffering in our life now. So we, we could read something like Revelation 22 and very well be led to say this. Well, great, that's all well and good that at the end of all things, everything will be made right. And it's great to know that all sin will be done away with at the end of time. But I'm alive right now. And there's sin and suffering all around me. I sin every day. 
and people in my life that I love suffer and are getting sick every day. And I suffer and get sick all the time. So what am I supposed to do? I'm glad to know that in the new heavens and new earth at the end of history, all my sin will be completely gone. But what am I supposed to do right now? We live in right now, not yet. That's a Christian's whole life. Right now, not yet. I am declared innocent and forgiven. And if you trust in Jesus, you are too. But I'm still a sinner. <laughs> You're still a sinner. I am loved by God, but I don't yet love God as much as I ought to or as much as I want to. And as more and more people come to believe in Jesus, God is right now reconciling the world to himself. But the world is not yet what it will be in the end. Right now, as a Christian, we are justified, just like it says in Romans 5.1. And we are free from the guilt and penalty of sin. And right now, the Holy Spirit is working in me to sanctify me and change me and grow me and complete in me the work that he started, just like it says in Philippians 1.6. But I'm not yet glorified and perfect like I will be after this life when I'm present with Jesus just like it says in Romans 8 30 where it says that I will be glorified along with Jesus have you ever been to a friend's house that they're having a new house built like a new construction and you go in that place with them and it's all like mostly studs right and some wires everywhere. But your friend is like, hey, look, right, this is where the island's going to be, our kitchen. It's going to be all counters. That's going to be the sink. TV's going to hang right there. Those are the kids' bedrooms. This is me and my wife's bedroom. And they're showing you all this stuff, and you're just kind of looking around like, uh, there's like a lot of studs. You ain't got no drywall up in here. There's like a bunch of sawhorses and tools and lumber, dirt and drywall dust everywhere. I'm not seeing what you're describing to me. And your friend's like, no, you, you don't understand. These are the plans. Like, I own this stuff. Like, all these building materials, I own this. This is what this is going to be. I hired these guys, and it's going to be like this when it turns out, when it turns into what it's supposed to be. God owns this earth. He owns all of us, and he is bringing about what's right. We can't see it for what it's going to be right now. He is at work bringing about what he intends. So I'm going to give you two statements. I'm going to give you a, a right now statement and a not yet statement. Okay, so the first one, the right now statement. The curse of sin is removed right now for believers in Jesus. You think about when there's a little baby that's born. When a little brand new baby comes into the world and they're born, they are every bit, they are a human being, a boy or a girl human being. They'll never not be a human. They are born just like that when they are born. They are completely and fully human right now when they're born. But are they fully grown up and mature and all of the man and all of the woman or all of the woman that they're going to be? Not yet. 
When you believe in Jesus and you are born again through trusting in Jesus, you are completely justified. The curse of sin is completely removed from you. The guilt of your sin is completely taken away from you. You are a child of God, adopted, accepted, loved by God when you believe in Jesus right now. But are you free from all of the influence and effects of sin in your life? Not yet. Right now, not yet. That's our whole world as believers. We're justified fully and completely. Being justified is to be made right with somebody. There was something between you and them that was wrong. Something happens that sets you to right with them. Romans 3, 23 through 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because of what God has done for me in Christ Jesus, I am made right justified before God. He can't love me anymore, and he's not going to love me any less. Because of Jesus, I am redeemed, like to be redeemed, to be bought back from something. I am bought back by Jesus out of slavery to sin. When I believe in Jesus right now, I am born again as a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away, the new has come. That's right now for anybody that loves Jesus. Okay, not yet. Here's a not yet statement. The curse of sin and all of its effects will be removed fully and finally from me and all of creation one day. There there is going to be a day where no more vestiges or remnants or influence or effect of sin will be anywhere present in the universe because of the final perfection that Jesus will bring at the end of history. That's not yet. That has not come yet. Philippians 1.6 says that when we believe in Jesus, God begins a work inside of us to make us what he wants us to be. And he will complete that work. But it's not yet. That's called sanctification. When God works in me to bring about the good purposes he wants for me in my life, for me to grow in godliness, grow in love for him and other people, he is sanctifying me. When I'm justified, that happens one time, and it's never going to happen again in my life. But God sanctifying me, that goes on all my life until I'm dead. Until any of us die, we're being sanctified by God every day. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. As God works out our salvation and brings about the fruit of his spirit in our lives. And by faith, we are persevering and subduing our sin daily, more and more fully. We are being made into what God wants us to be. Namely this, people who have more and more of the influence and effects of sin effects of sin's curse removed from our lives. We're growing and subduing our own sin. And by degrees, we're seeing the curse of sin removed for us, from us more and more. As God grows us up in him, that's what he's bringing about in our lives. 
And all of this, all of this growth of God's people in this way, all of this is looking forward to this final time at the end of history when no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. So what do we do now? I got three points. I got three applications for us. Number one, it's right that we actively be thankful. Actively be thankful for how God has done everything necessary to make everything right for you. To acknowledge daily how Christ has removed right now the curse of sin from you. To acknowledge and think about the changes he has made in you. I'm talking about we need to be the kind of people who have a discipline in our lives of routinely closing our eyes and saying, Jesus, thank you for saving me. That we're able to look back in our lives and see things we've done in our lives and say, Jesus, I feel guilty for that thing that I did, the way that I spoke to that person, the way that I looked at this woman, the way I lusted after this man, this deal I did in business or whatever. I feel guilty for that and I thank you that I'm forgiven for that. That because of Jesus, I don't have to carry this around anymore. You forgave me for this specific thing I have in my mind right now. Thank you, Jesus. That's what God wants for us. To have a mindset that thinks like that where we're actively thankful for what God has given us for in Christ. So actively be thankful. And then number two, actively seek to increase your love for God. Actively seek to increase your love for God. If you're not daily reading your Bible for yourself on your own, you are missing out on God doing this for you. You won't grow in love for God apart from God's word. That's not going to happen. You'll grow in love for all kinds of other things, but you won't grow in your affection for Jesus apart from spending time with him alone in his word. We need to focus our attention on God in his word to actively seek to increase our love for him and be faithful to your church. Those are the two top Two things, those are the means by which you grow to love God more, is being around and in and having your head in God's word and being around God's people. You need to be hearing God's words. You need to be seeing God's character, seeing what God values, seeing what God hates in his word and, love, and learn to love him in that way. And then be around other people that love God, that are trying to kill their own sin, that are trying to live and obey God and live to please God and be around them and encourage one another to observe one another's example of how we're all trying to live for Jesus. So seek to increase your love for God. And the last one, actively seek to kill sin in your life. Actively seek to kill sin in your life. As a Christian, the accursed work of sin has been removed from you by trusting in Christ. And so we're not to live in it anymore. We will not grow in love for God if we're okay with our sin. So we need to think and ask ourselves, 
Is, is there anything I'm giving myself to? Is there anything I'm allowing myself to do consistently that I know is a grievance to God? As long as I make peace with that and say, well, just kind of how I am. I've kind of dealt with this for a long time. I think it's just who I'm going to be. As long as we have that kind of attitude towards sin, our love for God will always be subdued. We've got to ask ourselves, am I, am I allowing myself to look at pornography? Am I giving myself to drinking until I'm drunk? Am I, am I okay with using filthy language? Am I, am, I, am I just okay with being someone who loses my temper with my kids? Or am I okay with being a man who talks harshly to my wife? Am I okay with being somebody who just allows myself to participate in gossip that I know is not right? We have to, family, we got to flee from the attitude, the thinking that would say, well, it's not such a big deal. I mean, you're not going to be perfect. No. God would have us say, no, God, I love you. I want to I please you. Help me. Help me kill this in my life, God. You've given me everything I need for life in God. And just, God, help me to love you more, to love you enough to turn from this thing that wants to suck my joy away from me. Those things are, if you're in Christ, those things I just listed there, they're no longer your master. You have a new master in Christ. So through Christ, the guilt for all those things has been removed from you. If you love Jesus, anything you could have done, however many times, even if you did it this morning, is not held against you. That's why Jesus died on the cross, was to take that punishment for that sin that you're thinking of right now. So don't stay away from him. Come near to him and find him out to be the one who has done everything to make everything right for you. You could be here tonight and you're in here and you... You just don't love Jesus. You, you don't believe. You've come because somebody's invited you or, or by some circumstance. And, but you can honestly say, I don't know where I'm at with this. I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Here's what I would I'd give you right here. This is Revelation 22. End of the chapter. Revelation 22, verse 17. Here's what it says. The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So do you desire to be made right with God through Christ? Have you never come to a point in your life where you have surrendered and given up and believed in Jesus and trusted in him? If that's you, the Bible says you can come right now and take this water of life without nothing to pay for it because you don't have anything to pay for it with anyway. Jesus is the only one who is sufficient to have the righteousness to pay for any of us to have any standing with God at all. And because he is so great and so loving and so merciful, he has done everything necessary to make us right with God and set everything else in the universe right. So God, thank you so much for this. These things that stood here, appear and said, God, they're all true, God, because you, you've said them in your word, God. God, you were the one who saves, God. 
none of us here, God, have lived a good enough life to impress you. None of us here, God, have been perfect enough to deserve anything from you. But God, you are so good. You are so just and you are so perfect. But at the same time, you are so merciful and you are so loving and tender, God. Pray for everybody in this room, God, that if there's anyone here who is discouraged or weighed down, God, or in any way uncertain of their standing with you, God, I pray that today would be the day where they would believe in you, Jesus, that you would give them faith right now to turn to you and believe in you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reassure them and comfort them and let them know they don't have to have all the answers. They don't have to have it all understood backwards and front right now. It's enough for them to know that, Jesus, you died for them and you rose again so that they could have a new life. God, I pray that these people would know what it is to be saved by grace, to know that it is a gift and that the gift of your grace is appropriated, taken up by faith, and that through faith they are made right with you, God, so, and they have no grounds to boast in, God. God, I pray that you would do that for everyone in this room, God, and for anybody here who needs it in a particular way. I pray that you would do that for them, God. We thank you that you are sufficient for this, God. You're too good to us, Father. Help us to love you, God. Thank you, God, that you are going to bring all of existence to a right closure. You have everything very much under control, God, and we're glad that we can trust you. We're glad that you have shown us yourself and your son, Jesus. So, God, please be honored now as we sing. Holy Spirit, help these people as they sing now, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.